right, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast live at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. Right here, we got Charles, Chuck Thompson, I'm Nate Thurston, and the one and only Austin Peterson. What's up? How you doing today, man? Well, there, actually, there is another Austin Peterson, but it's, his is S-O-N and mine is S-E-N. Okay. So so as far as the spelling goes, we don't know for sure, so that could have been misinformation. I'll have to make sure that we don't ever There is a doppelganger walking around here, and he does have the mustache and the little... Is, uh, the Val Kilmer thing from Tombstone. Or is that, a, is that Reed that, uh, that's walking around? I saw yes. someone was tweeting. Yeah, I'm yes. pretty sure. I sh- I'm in South Dakota. I should get like a good cowboy hat while I'm here. But <laughs> yes, <that's laughs> I, have to, I mean, that mustache is, is amazing. Thank you. It's so Thank good. You. And I, I wish sh- I could do that. And I see I you guys have got the nice facial hair. Uh, yeah, yeah, not, I this mean, is about all I can do. Not like yeah. this. This is it. Really? Right there? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, well, it. I won't, okay, so I'll, I'll let you guys in on a secret, right? Because the, the mustache has been a topic of conversation this weekend. Is that I I really the the beard is scraggly and it's it makes me look old with like the gray. Okay. So honestly, I wouldn't look good with any other kind of facial hair. But so. the mustache is smooth. It is. It yeah. works <laughs> just for what I need. It is 70s porn star. That's. Uh, I'm in. And that's nice. what you're going. The, the shirt and everything it's, matches. It did. And I'm glad we're on camera. So. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, you know we got a, a president right now Joseph R Biden he's out there. Have you heard some of the stuff he said in the last? Let me let me just paraphrase this and and. And um, maybe I'll play it for everyone who's listening. That's the that one over to the left. This is Joe Biden next to his uh, his plane, and a reporter is asking him if there are any, if there's anyone in the Democratic Party who wanted to defund the police. And he said, "Is there anyone in the Republican Party that thinks we're sucking the blood out of little kids?" Okay, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was funny because yeah. <laughs> because like that that's the kind of joke I would make because it, you know the reporters are asking ridiculous questions yeah. and I think he's kind of making fun of him. If anything, it was probably the most lucid thing that he you has think? said in a long time. <laughs> Except for his, you know, what's been weird is that lately uh, there have been a few times recently when Biden has actually ver- articulated very well what he wants to communicate. But the number one thing that he said recently that he was the most clear and lucid is that. If we wanted to defend the Second Amendment, we would need F-15s and nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And he said that very clear. I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "It's almost like he's really he's been practicing, rehearsing that for years." <laughs> Except you know? leading up to that, he he botched the quote. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, but still, the tree of liberty is blooded by water. And <laughs> yes, but, but he knows he, he knows that we'll need nuclear weapons to to beat the American military, and uh, that go, of course flies in the face of the Vietnam War and of the Taliban and pretty much every. <laughs> conflict we've seen since World War II, but yeah, that's a Democrat talking point. Pretty sure so, I spelled so, your mic and I'm sorry. I think he's right, though. I think maybe we should have F-15s and nukes, you know? Yeah. Uh, listen, there are <laughs> there's something like 76 privately owned uh, um, jets in the United States. Like I, I think there's like 29 MiGs mm-hmm. that are that are uh, privately owned here in the United States, and I don't... My big question is, and we were actually debating this at my work the other day, was you know, you can own a tank in the United States, it's legal on the tank. The ammunition, you have to if it's a, you know you can't have it if it's explosive. If it has to be registered, right? But could you have a typical ammunition, right? So, you in theory, if you had a MIG, you could have the guns as long as those guns are semi-automatic. <laughs> okay. okay. But if you want fully automatic guns, then you're going to need to go through the National Firearms Act, right? It's just like if you want to own a machine gun in the United States. That's right. So in theory, if you want to own a tank, you can. If you want to own a MIG, you can. It's just that you have to have single shot. And I wonder if that applies to a nuke. Could you own a nuke, <laughs> well, but it can't be a fully is, auto nuke? A nuke is an ammu- it's, it's, it's a munition, right? right? 
right. so maybe that would. Yeah, and everything's regulated through the Department of Energy with nukes, so you'd have to go through the DOE. Yeah. Well, you know, the argument is it would take so long to actually load your weapon back in the uh, the 18th century that that, that is the, the weapons they wanted. And honestly, it takes a long time to build a nuke and to actually get it to go off and everything. That single shot right there, it's going to take a while before you're probably ready the, to, uh, to, to blow up another one. So The nuke question is an interesting challenge to libertarian <laughs> ideas because of its um, the, its use in World War II and its its uh, uh, association with you know the anti-nuclearization movement that's led to you know the lack of nuclear energy you know, the, that we have here in the United States today, and uh, you know it becomes a moral question for libertarians. Murray Rothbard thought nukes should be banned, um, which I thought was interesting because it's kind of like you know the argument against AR-15s, right? They're so dangerous. The left makes this argument to ban weapons, but also some libertarians make an argument to ban certain types of weapons, and it makes me just kind of wonder. It, it leads to all this rabbit hole of questions of libertarianism, like the non-aggression principle. That I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't get into now. Maybe we should <laughs> just rip that's, on Biden. That's the that's the first thing I. Think thought of was, is it impossible not to violate the NAP, uh, the non-aggression principle, if, if you detonate a nuke? Because by default, you you know, you, yeah, well, to affect other people, you you couldn't violate. In theory, uh, I'm not a big nap guy, but mm. in theory, you could violate the non-aggression principle just by creating a nuclear weapon if you do refuse to maintain the nuclear weapon. Because if you do not maintain it, just like a biological weapon or something like that, if you don't have the proper circumstances to maintain that weapon, eventually it will decay to the point where it could lead to a it could go critical for a nuke, or you know, you could have a leak. We know about that. Like, like, <laughs> you can have a leak if you don't maintain that weapon. So yeah. it, it leads one down an interesting rabbit hole of questions of, you know, Murray Rothbard said that the creation of the nuke itself uh, was a violation of the non-aggression principle. Therefore, nuclear weapons ought to be banned. There we go. Well, that's that's one thing I think libertarians do is we'll say something like, uh, and I, this might make a lot of people mad, but we'll say, in the fit. Like, get rid of it, okay? Mm. Now, Amen. What, I, what I mean, I, I would love to, what I actually really mean is I wish it would have never been created. Mm. I think it would be really hard. It would take more time to do this because we've been so adjusted to it. I might want it to be gone uh, in, a, in a generation from now, phased out over time, but if we got rid of it tomorrow, I think maybe we, we wouldn't so much enjoy the immediate aftermath of that, but maybe uh, a generation or two down the road it would be better. And when it comes to the nukes, what I was saying is uh, maybe the argument is I wish it would have never been created, but it has been created. And now, yeah, we, what if, if we ban them? Whoever still got one is going to be the one with all the control. Yeah, it's, it lies to the question of Milton Friedman versus Murray Rothbard, right? Mm -hmm. You have the theory and then you have the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people really criticize um, Milton Friedman for his negative income tax idea and, you know, for withholding, for example, in our income tax because libertarians say, well, you know, withholding has lessened the pain and made it less likely for us to abolish the income tax, even if it's made it easier for people to pay their taxes in certain ways, right? So, and of course, Milton Friedman was not an, a central banking abolitionist, right? He was not in favor of ending the Fed, right? So, uh, while it, he he agreed with you that since it's been created, that we need to find a way to control it. Uh, before we could ever think of moving away to a society where we didn't rely on a central bank for our currency. That being said, I, I'm definitely in favor of ending the Fed, but I do agree with you that like we're going to have to find some ways to rein it in before we can kill it. You know, you have to cut off, you know, so at least you have to cut off the head of the Hydra, burn it, and then, you know. Have a phoenix transformation. You yeah. Have to, maybe you have to trap it first, yeah. and that's the point that, that's the thing that we need to do. All right, so are you frustrated with the media? 
Are you tired of being fed the same news stories over and over again? One of the reasons we started this podcast is to give you a more well-rounded perspective on important issues. That's very true. That is true. So our partners at Ground News are working to do the same. And boy, they are. It's really cool, actually. Yeah, Ground News. So just so you guys know, this is a really cool app. I've got it on my phone. I've been using it for getting show notes for the show. We found out about this a little bit ago, and I'm really excited that we get to tell you about it now. But it's an app that lets you compare how a single news story is being covered across the entire political spectrum. Okay, This is not just a news aggregator. It's a tool with tons of easy-to-use features that help you analyze the news so you can be confident you're getting the whole story. Unlike social media and other news apps, Ground News doesn't use your browsing history to manipulate your news feed. Their blind spot feature shows you stories that are underreported by both the left and the right. So it's this really cool app that we're going to ask you to go to through our link that when you look at a story, it shows you how much it's being covered by right-leaning news sites, how much it's being covered by left-leaning news sites. Is it being covered by both of them pretty equally? And it shows you what the bias is overall. So you know what kind of bias you're getting from each one of these news organizations. It's a really cool app. And you can pick up keywords like rare. Mm -hmm. Rare. All right. So if you're the kind of person who's open to seeing multiple perspectives on controversial issues, then Ground News is for you. Check out Ground News by visiting ground.news slash GML. That's ground.news slash GML. Or click the link in the description to download the free app. And speaking of that, so if you were president, let's say, you wouldn't just abolish everything right away because you did run for president in 2016. That's when we first heard about you. I was a huge proponent out of everybody running in that race. I was like, Austin Peterson should win the nomination. You were also my number one choice. I thought you had the the best principles. And and honestly, because Gary Johnson was nominated, I voted for Rand Paul. (laughs) I wrote in Rand Paul's name. (laughs) I did the same thing. Um, So so I I guess walk us through the last uh, five years now in a brief synopsis, if you will, of yeah. how Just you day by uh, day, ran for president over the last five years, yeah. <laughs> running yeah. for president in 2016 and what that was like, and then running for, um, for oh, thrilling for guys. Senate. No, a lie. You know, it was, it's the American dream. You know, every, every kid who's interested in politics thinks, oh man, I'll run for president one day. I remember a friend of mine right after I had announced, sat down with me. He's a gay black conservative man. And he said, he whispered to me after we had just like done the Stossel show together. He goes, uh, it was always been my dream to do that. Austin. I'm so jealous. I wish I could, but he's like, I know that they would never accept me because of how I am and who I am, and it's just not in the cards. But, you know, I did it because I was supporting Rand. I wanted Rand to be the candidate, right? I'm still disappointed about it, but I saw the kind of writing on the wall, right, when his poll numbers started to tank. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to put my name in here, see what happens, because I felt as if there was a need for a principled voice that had, you know, had a radical tone, but was wouldn't scare your parents if you brought me home for dinner, right? So like, <laughs> I love John McAfee, God rest his soul, rest in peace, but he's the kind of candidate, presidential candidate, and you know, not you want to do a line of coke with, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and hey, listen, there's a lot of people who could really enjoy that, and and that works that's an effective you know methodology you know everybody has a different way to do it uh but i thought here's a way to sort of mainstream the ideas give the people an alternative because in 2016 the electorate wanted something else that's why it, if it was Gary, if it was me, if it was McAfee, whoever it would have been, would have gotten the highest vote percentage ever because that's where the American people were. In 2020, people were terrified. The pandemic, Trump was scaring people and then he gets COVID and people are like, oh God, we need to you know, have the hand of tyranny come in and the Democrats control things. 
You know, in the last five, six years since the campaign, I, you know, I ran for Senate unsuccessfully as well. Now we have Senator Josh Hawley. Mm. Um, and uh, it's led to the, the rise of this movement that's very anti-libertarian. Of the, this new, uh, the national conservative movement, which is, you know, if you're in the know about our factions, you remember the paleocons, you know, you remember the Pat Buchanan's, you know, you remember the America First movement. And, you know, to be honest, some of the things that the, the MAGA movement advances, I support the, the foreign policy agenda, right, of non-intervention, right, um, America first when it comes to spending taxpayer dollars on American projects to rebuild American cities, you know, um, not the tariffs, right, not the taxes and things like that. Um, but I've been doing everything I can to try and keep the flame of liberty alive in a time when now, where with the Ron Paul movement and Rand Paul and others, I felt like young people were really much more receptive to our ideas. And I think we're playing defense now as libertarians in that it's a fad, I believe, for a young people to embrace authoritarianism and to be very dismissive of libertarian ideas. Um, I don't know what the next phase of the revolution is going to be. But I, th I agree with Ron Paul that the revolution continues and that even if we are a minority, we punch above our weight. And we do that by using our our, talent, our big, best talent, which is our brains, right? And, uh, but that's not going to fix everything. Because I'll tell you what, people really don't like nerds. <laughs> they don't like dorks. And we tend to be a little dorky. We tend to be a little nerdy. And... Um, People think that, you know, now that I've worked in conservative talk radio for a couple years, they want to identify with you. They want to feel like you're part of their tribe, their culture. You're somebody they want to have a beer with, you know, not line of Coke with. Right? <laughs> a legal beer. They want to, yeah, 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 legal beer, right. Eventually you smoke weed with, Eventually, maybe. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If it's legal. Yeah. I see a lot of senior citizens who are lining up at the medical dispensaries, and I know a lot of people in mid-Missouri where, you know, they would have been very, they were, you know, trying to shut down the sex shop a decade ago in my town. Yeah. And uh, now we have a medical marijuana uh, store, we actually had our congressman on my show a couple weeks ago, and I had so much fun saying, you know, congressman, across the street from your office is a medical marijuana shop. And I said, you, I know, want the federal government, uh, you don't want the uh, gun manufacturers to be in trouble with the banks and not be able to uh, to have banks and use banks when it comes to firearms transactions. I agree with you on that, uh, Blaine Lukemeyer. And I go, but Congressman, what about marijuana dispensaries who are operating like the one across the street from your office and they can't go and drop off their money, their banks, it leads to more crime, they can be broken in. I'm like, Shouldn't they have the ability to transact in the federal Banking community, he's on the banking committee, so he's like, well, I don't know, the guns, yeah, the weed, no, but the yeah. things that I agree with, right, yes, and the things right. I don't agree with, we'll, no. We'll be free when we have our guns and our weed, yeah. right? We'll have, <laughs> when we can, when we can have potentially uh, be in a scenario where we can make a dangerous a decision to put our lives or even other people's lives in danger, and be able to have that decision be individually made, because freedom is risky. Freedom means you're allowed to take risks and may even make mistakes. And boy, if you tell leftists that and a lot of conservatives that, no, 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 no. They're much more risk averse, 
Right. We're well, the, we still make mistakes. They just sweep yes. them under the rug and be like, well, that wasn't our fault. Right. And there's the prior restraint. Did that or, or at the least we did, did everything we could right. to try and stop that it, from happening. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, one thing I'm really, really interested in, because I've had this debate with a lot of people, you uh, were obviously a libertarian candidate and you ran as a Republican. Uh, I happen to only be here because of a Republican named Ron Paul. And so I happen to uh, fully believe that it's okay to vote for your principles and not for a specific party. And uh, I actually think it would be valuable to have someone like Dr. Paul on the stage again. And I, I know that we have social media, we have everything. Uh, maybe you don't have to be on the debate stage anymore or whatever. Uh, but I mean, just tell me some of your thoughts on that as being libertarian, Republican, and... Well, yeah, I mean, so I was disappointed when Amash stepped down and, and didn't run for office again. I think... You know, what I hear is that, you know, the writing was on the wall. He was not going to be reelected. His constituents, you know, maybe, but we don't know that. Um, I, I worry that he won't be able to be as influential. He claims that he'll just, he'll be as influential because the leadership never allows them to pass laws anyway or even refer bills to committees. Um, unless you're in leadership, you don't get anything done. And that's what he said. Well, that's fine. But Why don't we just try to not, just not try to get anyone in there then? Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, good counter. So I disagree with that. And listen, I I understand that uh, that desire to have something outside of the system, and it feels very rebellious, and it's sexy, and it's fun. And I, and I certainly agree with that at certain points in my life. But I do also see that there are some big libertarian lies that are told. And I think the pandemic showed that many of these things are lies, which the big libertarian lie, in my opinion, is that there's no difference between the two parties. And I think the pandemic, more than anything, red state versus blue state, red state governor, blue state governor, if you make any comparison in terms of the overall performance of these governors during the pandemic, there's just no comparison that the Republican states and the Republican governors handed it better overall, in general, hmm. not in every case, um, we, than we, the Democratic states. So the parties aren't the same. Yeah, we talk, we talk about that a lot on the show, actually, that uh, it seems like Republicans align more, even though, you know, we talk about the marijuana and uh, a, a lot of other things, maybe the sex work, things like that, uh, that obviously they're not all the way there on, but they at least have this thing in the back of their minds that is maybe the founding fathers and the Constitution, and they might not live up to it all the time, uh, but they do have that. And people on the left, they don't have that part at all, really. They, they really don't. It's, it seems to be more subjective all the time, even more so than people who are Republicans. So we've always found with our show that we do better talking to Republicans and trying to bring them to more of a libertarian side. It's it's a lot easier to bring over Republicans than it is to bring over people that are that are liberal. From right, our right, and like you know, you can have organic movements in the liberty movement, like the Ron Paul Revolution, where you'll have you know disparate groups of people doing their own projects, you know, sending a blimp across the East Coast like they did in 2008. Right, and it's fun, and it, some of it may be sound and fury signified nothing. Some of it may be extremely impactful, right? It may kick off the Tea Party movement, kind of like the Ron Paul movement did. But, but I will say that the Democrats and the Republicans, they're able to be a little bit more introspective and to sort of professionalize themselves and their approach and their campaigns a little bit more with a unified approach in the sense that, you know, they'll come up with branding and marketing that can be used for all of their candidates going forward and they, the kind of support that their national 
parties can give to their local candidates can be, is, you know, makes them much more effective. And you can say, well, the LP doesn't have the resources for that. Okay, well, that's fine. However, there's got to be enough volunteers. I, when I worked for the Libertarian Party, I worked for the National Committee, anything that I needed to do to provide help services to candidates, I was able to do because I just marshaled the, called upon the resources of the volunteer community and fa and paired people with their talent, their talent, whatever it was, with the candidate that needed whatever resource it was that was there. It just, that is a, that's hard work. <laughs> and that's an initiative, it just, it takes a skilled coordinator to be able to see people's talents and to match people up, you know, but Republicans, because they have the money to just buy it, they're buying Madison Avenue, right? They go to New York, Fifth Avenue, they buy, you know, the Mad Men agencies, and then they come up with a brilliant plan, but we don't have that luxury, so if we're going to take a continuous grassroots approach and we don't want to cent overly centralize things and pay for that kind of a stuff, then we're going to have to rely on the support of, like, our most talented volunteers, and that, can, that has its pros, but it also has its cons from a marketing perspective. Right. So you talked earlier about young people, um, you know, and, and not really getting into liberty. And do you think that's because one theory I have is, is because of fear and people think the reason why Trump was so successful is that we need to defeat left wing populism with right wing populism. Yes, they believe that. Yes, right. they absolutely do. Uh, this is identity politics and it's very dangerous because the left uh, has the veneer of credibility on top of theirs, uh, their identity politics, even though it's heavily Marxist, uh, and you know, Black Lives Matter, for example, is a Marxist organization, but if you criticize Black Lives Matter, you're a racist, right? The right doesn't have that credibility to be able to play identity politics the way that the left does, because when you go out there and you, it, you're saying things like, rights for whites, it doesn't play it doesn't well. Play it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't play the same. It doesn't the, play very well. The hatred for it. Now, I think all the most of the isms are pretty bad. Fascism, don't like it. Communism, don't like it. Okay, it I want to say yeah. that right now. Yeah, yeah. But there is such a deep-seated fear and hatred of fascism for so many people in the country that it seems like it isn't there for, for communism quite as much. And so when you say, like, the rights for whites, if you were to say that, well, the, these are a bunch of fascists out there, and so we, we have to get rid of them. But when you say, well, that's a Marxist organization... It doesn't, doesn't have, have the same impact. Same impact. You can have a hammer land. and sickle on your profile picture and, yeah. and those different yeah. types of it things. Has and to, it, you know, it has to do with the tradition of, you know, the United States, you know, Truman and shaking hands with Stalin and at uh, Potsdam and, you know, our, our relationship with them during the great, you know, World War II, the, their great patriotic war. And the Cold War obviously was a big deal in between then. But uh, the, the influence in the United States of Soviet Russia was certainly much stronger than Nazis who got their ass handed to them in a decade, right? They were crushed. Right. But it's not to say that there aren't still Nazis out there. There, there are, and they, and the, you know, some of them are, you know, they are the the dangerous, you know, white collar, you know, swastika cufflink wearing dangers to uh, to society because uh, you know these these real ideas. You can't. G. Gordon Liddy once had a famous statement, and I totally believe, and he was talking about communists, but you could also apply this to Nazis as well. He says, "You can't kill an idea." But you can kill everyone who holds that idea. <laughs> yeah. I think Jordan Peterson talks about Carl. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. 
<laughs> he, well, no, he talks How are you about connecting this. No, he talks about Carl Jung saying that uh, people don't have ideas; ideas have people. Yeah, yeah. And so then so, you got to kill the people. So then the idea. Well, that, what that means though is that the ideas can they're they're transformative to generations. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm so, anti-war, non-interventionist, but don't tread on me. Means something. Right. Right. The porcupine has quills for a reason, and I think one of the problems with libertarianism is we do. It's fine to be a hippie. It's fine. But I do think pacifism is suicidal to a degree. Right, and and you know we have pacifists in the United States, and they should be free to operate within a society that protects them with nuclear weapons. <laughs> and uh, they, you know, the Amish live in our society, and they don't pay federal income taxes, and they have their communities, and and that's fine. Um, the problem, of course, there is that like, you know, there are men with guns on parapets who, you know, it's like the few good men, like, you know, I'm you need me on that wall, you want me on that wall, I do, right? And the the very concept of Minarchism, or is is the night watchman state, the watcher on the wall, the idea that that you know all of society should be should be solving society's problems through voluntary interactions and through businesses and through families, friends, neighbors, and churches, but that things like national defense, cops, courts, nukes, right, the very essence of the of maintaining the stability of society to protect individual liberty or individual rights is a night watchman state, which requires a watcher on the wall because you have to you have to be you have to be looking for the bad actors because right. we live in an imperfect world right and i have no right. problem with private security options right if people want to hire private security for their neighborhoods and things like that or be like curtis sliwa of new york and the guardian angels and patrol their own streets and you know if the cops won't do it the citizens have to you know i think kyle from kenosha is uh, more of a hero than a villain. Agreed. You know, and so uh, even if it is private actors, that's fine. But it is true that not everyone in society can afford to hire a private uh, agent if they want to go on vacation or leave their house to ensure that nobody breaks into their property and steals their stuff, or to you know to afford to hire a lawyer to you know defend them in a, in a scenario where the state might be coming after them you know the anarchist says well you're having a state paid lawyer to protect you from the state how much do you trust that well not much it'd be better if you make money and hire a private yeah, lawyer right. but but I do think that like some minimum level I think the founding fathers were right that a minimal government that protects property rights and mostly stays out of people's personal affairs is the right way to go it's a necessary evil and it is right? a necessary yeah. evil right. kind of like an AR-15 I mean it's almost like you don't want to apply good and evil to inanimate objects, but an AR-15 is a necessary evil. Would it be nice if we didn't need AR-15s? Yeah, it'd be great. I'd love that. But what world is that? You know, take me there, right? But utopia literally defined means no place. So we need a necessary evil to counteract the evil that exists. Right. We need nuclear weapons to counter the evil of nuclear weapons, the threat that exists. And that's just to me, that's, that's the quills of the porcupine. So, uh, so tell us uh, real quick about the things that you're working on and what you have coming up. I know you have a, a website. I love talking yeah. about myself. Yes, yes. please. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, I host my own radio broadcast. If you love liberty, comedy, talk radio, news, you know. Mustaches. Um, mustaches, yeah. <laughs> There's a live Facebook live stream for that. <laughs> and you can get it on the podcast app, by the way, because I actually yeah. commented one time. I said, man, I wish I could listen to this on a podcast form. Uh, KWOS is the call letters, and you can listen to it from anywhere then. The Facebook live stream, is, the show's called the KWOS Morning Show with Austin Peterson and John Marsh. It's the longest name in history. It's my boss came up with it. Sorry if you're listening, boss. <laughs> 
Um, but you just type in KWLS on Facebook, it'll take you to it. And uh, that's a great way to, you know, get in touch, interact with my content. TheLibertarianRepublic.com, still going strong, you know, finding out new voices and amplifying them through social media and through uh, publishing. And um, right now, my, my latest entrepreneurial venture is I'm kind of obsessed with the uh, French Bulldogs. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that over there. And, and apparently I'm not the only one. You know, the pandemic made everybody go out and get a dog. And um, the American Kennel Club has now registered. They're now the second most popular dog in the United States. They were the fourth. The French Bulldog. The French Bulldog. And there really aren't a lot of, like, websites and, like, products that cater to French Bulldog owners because they're so unique in their shape. If you try and buy a product for them, uh, you'll get something that'll maybe fit a dachshund or something, or maybe you'll fit a regular dog, but they their unique shape makes it difficult to find products for them. So what I'm hoping in the next few years is to build an audience for my website, FrenchyBS.com, FrenchyBullStuff.com, and, you know, separate good stuff from bad stuff or bull stuff. You can say shit if you want okay, to. It's bullshit. Okay, bullshit. <laughs> Frenchybullshit.com. I also own bullstuff.com just, there as, we go. Okay. just in case. Just to have the, you know, if the kids like the right. products, they can have, it's just the logo is a French bulldog with the poop emoji on his head. So, you know, our, our kids are going to yeah. have to love that. So, well, because they are, because they're, they're a little shorter and they're, you know, yeah. they're a little wider. The, and I kind of call, I got to compare them to midget wrestlers. Big shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're like, they're small, but they're like, yeah, like they're pit bulls. <laughs> Yeah, they are. Yeah, so it's like you like you could this kick my ass? No, but I I feel like it would give me a run for my money. Um, so FrenchyBS.com coming soon, and um, they're almost that's my, like a boxer if you just shrank it, but kept yeah, its mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Every yeah. time you see one, if you look like just type in French bulldog muscles or French bulldog swole, and you'll find pictures of French bulldogs looking like mastiffs <laughs> or something like that. But they're you know in a itty bitty right, you know right. a little bow. Package, but thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, really appreciate, appreciate it, talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good one. Yeah, thanks so much.